Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. For my Maundy Thursday meditation this year, I want to offer some uh, very brief thoughts about the Maundy of Maundy Thursday. Historically, we associate uh, Maundy Thursday with the institution of the Lord's Supper that took place on the night of His betrayal, and we are right to do so. But the word Maundy comes from the Latin word for command, commandment. On Thursday night before instituting the sacrament, Jesus gave his followers a command. And that command throughout history became the liturgical focus of Maundy Thursday. Let me read the verse that it comes from and then offer some thoughts. John thirteen thirty four, A new mandatum, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. I think what's interesting about this is that Jesus calls it a new command. Love one another, what is new about that? The answer is nothing. Love for others has always been a priority and Yes, a command of Scripture. One of the things so revolutionary about Israel's law is how neighbor-centric it was. Into a world of selfish domination comes this nation with an ethical structure that prioritizes love of others, including those traditionally neglected, such as widows and foreigners, even outside Scripture. Every religion, every philosophy embraces some form of altruism. You're going to have a hard time finding any religion or system of belief that doesn't espouse love for others in some way. So does Jesus really think he's introducing something new here? Well, Jesus is not introducing a new concept, but he is introducing a new standard. A new command I give to you is this. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. What's new about the command to love is that Jesus himself has become the definition of love. He says to his followers, your job is to love each other the way I have loved you. This is much more than the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is do unto others as Jesus has done Unto you. So, what has he done? The obvious 
answer comes tomorrow in his crucifixion. But that death was previewed for the disciples on Monday Thursday, just before he issued this command. He does something unthinkable. It says, Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When we think about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, we typically think about the the scandal of the story as the grossness of the act. You've probably heard uh, sermons where preachers talk about how in the ancient world they wore sandals on dirt roads and everybody's feet were nasty, but that Jesus loves us so much that he would even wash our nasty feet. Yes, this is true. It definitely was gross. But the, san- the scandal of this scene has less to do with the filth of the act as much as the position of the act. John is very detailed in his account of what Jesus did, what he was wearing, the towel, the basin, and so forth. And what he is doing is describing a picture of Jesus that the ancient world would immediately recognize but it's tougher for us to completely understand what is going on. What Jesus is intentionally doing here is taking on the position of a household slave. Slavery was common in the ancient world, and uh, slaves were certainly looked down upon as the lowliest of society. But even among slaves, there were deeper levels of shame. For example, there was a difference between Jewish slaves and Gentile slaves. And some duties were viewed as so lowly that only Gentile slaves would perform them. And foot washing was one of those. And these Gentile slaves had a uniform, a very embarrassing outfit they would wear. Only their underwear with a towel tied around their waist. And so return to this description. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist. Jesus has stripped down to his underwear, tied a towel around his waist, and taken on the position of a Gentile slave. Brothers and sisters, this is astounding. This is God humiliating himself before his disciples. The hands that hold all things are at work performing the lowliest thing hands can do. The name that is above every name is wearing the uniform that is beneath all names. The one to whom every knee shall bow was bowing the knee before his disciples. The one who shall put all enemies under his foot is washing the feet of his betrayer. The sovereign of creation has become the servant of a household. And then after doing this for his disciples, Jesus says this, Do you understand what I have done to you? Now we think the obvious answer here is that Jesus has washed their feet and that is a preview of his ultimate act of humiliation where he will die to wash our sins. And that's true. But Jesus takes it a different direction. He's going to say, by doing this act to you, I have now bound you to this act as well. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now what's interesting about that juxtaposition there is, he's, is, is whom he thinks we ought to be serving. We would expect him to say, if I have washed your feet, you should wash my feet. 
I have served you, you serve me. But instead, he says, if I have served you, then you must serve not me, but one another. And here's the point. To Jesus, the two are one and the same. Love for Christ is concretely expressed in love for each other. We are servants to Christ by becoming servants to neighbor. And I do mean servants. That's the whole point here. He didn't lend them a hand and say, since I have helped you out, you should help others out. He acted as a slave and then says, you ought to do the same to one another. What Jesus has done by performing the lowliest of act is effectively bind us to any and all forms of love, mercy, and service. If our Lord went to the bottom of humiliation, then where can he not call us to go? If the Lord is the lowliest, then what is beneath you? The answer, of course, is nothing. And so what Jesus has done is trapped his followers. If you, as a follower of Jesus, ever say that an act of love, mercy, sacrifice, service is beneath you, then you are saying you think you are better than the Lord Jesus. That's the point he emphasizes Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's trapped them, and he's trapped us. And it's only here in the gospel of God as a slave that we are truly trapped. There is a common theme to religions that historians and sociologists are quick to point out. Religions intrinsically create division and meritocracy structures. And they must by their very nature. Because a religion is a deity or a philosophy with rules that we are expected to follow. Those who do are rewarded, those who don't are punished. And so in this way, the entire system runs on merit, which then in turn creates self-righteous competition among adherents. But what happens when your religion is a God who washes the feet of those who call him God? Well, now, others are not competition to outperform, but neighbors to be loved and served. Your God has trapped you into humble love by his humble love. Unless you think you are better than Jesus, then no form of loving service is beneath you. And so his example on Thursday culminates in a new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Brothers and sisters, is there any more important command to obey in our day than the mandate of Monday Thursday? Our world is fractured, fueled by algorithms of paranoia and hatred, training us to love ourselves and hate each other more and more every day. At some point, somebody has to rise up and protest to the vitriol and malice. And I think it ought to be the followers of Jesus who are those people. Let's show our world a better world. And that world is a Maundy Thursday world. We rise up against the hatred by going low in loving service. And in so doing, we show the world our Jesus. After all, Jesus says on Maundy Thursday, this is how they will know. They will know our Lord by our love, for this is how our Lord has chosen to be known. 
as lowly as foot washing may be, Jesus is going to go lower. You've already heard it in the scripture readings. After washing feet, he takes bread, says, this is my body for you. He pours wine and says, this is my blood shed for you. And then tomorrow his body will be broken and his blood will be shed. He has not come merely to wash our feet, but to wash our souls. For that, our filth must be transferred to our Savior. And he will be treated as our filth deserves. Why? Because he loves you. You can't repay him, but you can follow him. You can go and do likewise. You can obey the mandate of Maundy Thursday, love as I have loved you. Let me pray. Or as we prepare our hearts to celebrate that which you instituted this night, yes, would you fill us with your love. But may that love overflow. May we be known as a community that loves as you have loved us. In Jesus' name. Amen.